Texas appears to be inching toward legalizing marijuana. So how should we do that? What should we be thinking about now, before the Texas legislative session begins in 2023? To get a grip on that, we might consider how it's going in Illinois, where recreational weed became legal in 2020. I'm talking today with my Chicago counterpart, Jacoby Cochran, the host of CityCast Chicago. It's Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Jacoby, thank you so much for doing this. Nah, thank you, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. All right, Jacoby, I have so many questions for you. Texas is sort of inching toward legalizing marijuana. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to happen until maybe 2023, the next legislative session. But one of our candidates for governor, Beto O'Rourke, is absolutely down with legalization. And the incumbent, the guy who's most likely to win, Greg Abbott, is saying, mm-hmm. well, yeah, it maybe is a good idea. We could think about it. So... What I want to know is, what would that look like? When I left to go to school for undergrad in like 2009, Mm -hmm. there was no weed. There was no medical weed. There was no recreational weed. It was all still on the black market. But when I got back in 2015, late 2015, there were medical dispensaries in certain parts of the city. Uh, Things were a little more exciting. And all of a sudden, there were efforts to decriminalize. You know, so, so where's Texas in that process? It's patchy. So in the big cities, um, it's mostly decriminalized. Like in Harris County, you can Mm -hmm. up to four ounces. The DA might haul you in and slap your wrists on a summons, but you're not going to get any jail time. Got it. But it's different from city to city, from county to county. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was similar in Illinois for a while. And then Governor Rauner, uh, the Republican governor back in 2016, uh, started to decriminalize small possession around the state. But he was still on that, you know, I don't think it's time to legalize recreational weed. And Governor J.B. Pritzker, the billionaire who was opposing him, was very much, you know, that was one of his big things. We're going to legalize weed. But here it felt like that was actually a topic that could move the needle on the election one way or the other. So Governor Pritzker won the 2018 election. He signs recreational weed in about June 2019. That goes into effect January 2020. Is that where Texas is between Abbott and O'Rourke? Is weed big enough to move this election in your opinion? Yeah. So the last poll data I saw um, was a... University of Houston, Texas Southern University poll that showed that two-thirds of likely voters support legalizing weed for recreational use, which that seems like something that could move the needle. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think Texans are for it. Now, whether the Texas legislature goes for it, that's a separate issue, but it seems like this might be one of the few good things that could come out of the Texas legislature meeting in 2023. Mm Mm-hmm. For Illinois, it's here. It drove our election. Uh, How likely is this to to happen in Texas? I think it's pretty likely. Um, Mm -hmm. Even the incumbent who is likely to win, Governor Greg Abbott, is inching toward it. And public opinion is leading the way. So, you know, we might get beaten by some sort of federal move. But I think even if not, it will happen in Texas. I just want it to happen well. 
Mm-hmm. And what do you want we in Texas to look like? Uh, I am going to vote for Beto O'Rourke for all kinds of reasons, you know, not just because he's being more vocal about supporting weed, but, mm-hmm. you know, it just makes no sense to me that it's not legal. You know, I mean, it's Texas. We can buy AK-47s. Why can we not buy a blunt? I mean, this is just nutty. That is literally the, we can buy AK-47s. Why can't we buy blunts? That's, that's, that's Texas. Texas. (laughs) My G, I'm like, that's, that's Texas. So you also talked about the local level. How does Houston differ from other counties or other cities in Texas right now? Is it particularly progressive, particularly leading the movement? Austin is, I think they're a little further out there, a little more vocal. Um, But Houston has been, we decriminalized for, I think, five years now. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're out, you know, we are a big, diverse city. And (laughs) frankly, we've just got too many people in our jails. So part of the movement was really, you know, the thing that moves Texas to save money. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. We're not making the streets safer. But, you know, marijuana is here. It's all over the place. It is. Might as well, you know, make the market better and tax the stuff. Mm-hmm. So, And if you can make it taste good, I'm there. In Illinois, a lot of the, the talk, because we were the, we're the only state to pass recreational weed through the legislation, so much of the hype was about it being social equity being the most socially conscious piece of cannabis legislation and oh jacoby you know in texas we ain't doing that (laughs) okay but what does that even look like let me Mm -hmm. imagine it yeah so so in illinois there were a few things that we kind of focused on to say there was social equity one was record expungement for a while, the bill was going to just automatically wipe out certain, um, you know, things on people's records related to weed. So Apply. let me just back up because Go I've got to get my little Texas brain around all of this, okay? <laughs> so the idea is that we've decided now that it shouldn't have been a crime, that selling weed was putting people in jail who did not need to be in jail or in prison. Yeah. So now we're going to wipe all of that away. Your sins are forgiven. In fact, they were not ever sins. Sorry about that. That's what they said. You know, there yeah. was a, at least the rhetoric was that the war on drugs largely harmed black and brown communities. Prohibition drove right. the black market and is largely responsible for a, the wave of mass incarceration. And so for our governors and legislators to actually be talking about that, it was very clear that the bill was going to have to respond. While it didn't meet what many folks, including myself, wanted in terms of like automatic expungement, it gave people a route to get their records expunged. It gave people who are incarcerated, you know, over the next, uh, I believe, five years, the opportunity to uh, contest charges that they were currently serving on. Um, It also talked about giving people a route into the legal cannabis market. And so in order to get a uh, dispensary, you had to meet certain social equity criteria. Uh, You had to either have been from a community that was largely impacted um, by the war on drugs, a black or brown community. You needed to have been incarcerated or had a family member incarcerated. Um, You know, there were 
certain uh, veteran status that you could reach. And so they would kind of pile all of this into a lottery system and not anybody could just get a dispensary. Only so many licenses were given out. So you had so many people competing. So did you get bonus points if you were in those categories? How does that work? Basically, like those categories. You get more categories, tickets in the lottery? Yeah, that, those okay. counted for more points and gave you a better opportunity of having yourself selected. Theoretically speaking, it didn't really go down like that. Uh -oh. uh, and both at the city and state level, the people who ended up coming out on top more times than likely were well-connected white dudes. That sounds kind of familiar. Mm -hmm. So like in Houston and Harris County, we might try to do some sort of social equity piece mm -hmm. toward giving those licenses. So what should we be watching for if we don't want it to be all the white dudes moving in? In fact, you know, are we gonna get big weed coming from places like Chicago? Is it? <laughs> We're late to this game. I mean, in terms I, I want my local entrepreneurs. I want that tax money to stay here. It, it, it starts to look at, well, how does the legislation impact not only people who can open dispensaries, but the people who can open craft grow shops, the people who can open farms. What and, a, okay, a craft grow shop? Mm -hmm. You know, sort this of. sounds like the most precious thing ever. Is it I like think it's kind of like a brewery. Where, like, yeah, like where a microbrewery. Yeah, beer? they make beer and then <laughs> some people sell it at farmer's markets. Some people uh -huh. sell it in-house. Uh, so some of the things you got to watch out for is you know, who are you having run your lottery system or who are you saying gets access to these licenses? Um, in our social equity, there was this workaround where even if you met none of those criteria, you could partner with somebody who did. Minority subcontractor thing. Exactly. Okay. We do right. that in other things. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm, right. And, you know, so people were even reaching out to me at that time. You know, hey, are you interested in cannabis? Our company has, you know, opportunities <laughs> for people to get into the licensing market. Uh, and I mean, all I did was attend some like some edible like little conventions. And, you know, but these venture capitalists <laughs> were thirsty. Anybody they thought had connections, they would reach out, try to get you, say you own 51 percent after three years, buy you out, kick you out. We talked to this uh organizer J.R. Fleming. That was on CityCast Chicago. Right. And he talked about just how difficult it was, despite meeting all of the social equity components, actually having the capital, having run businesses, the know-how. He said that this application process was unlike anything he had ever seen in his life. Overwhelming. It was meant to sort of weed people out and break people down. And again, the people who were most advantaged to get through on that system were, were the well connected. It's so hard to get a license that, you know, that the criminal background checks, the way your record needs to be clean, the way you have to have prove your finances and where's all your money coming from. And do you have the ability to you know, you got to send mock-ups. What's your dispensary going to look like? Do you even have spaces or, or real estate opportunity in the city where you could put this dispensary? And so they're asking you to bring so much to the table that if you just got capital, is not enough. If you wow. just got ideas, is not enough. Everybody loves the social equity components. Did they meet the, you know, the rigor we wanted them to go to? No. Um, have they been carried out in a way that is actually equitable? No, but legislators immediately went back and have tried to retool it. So what happened to like the neighborhood guys who've been selling pot? Is your neighborhood guy still working? Oh, yeah, they still getting money. Actually, yeah. it's had a, a impact on the neighborhood guys in a way that has been 
<laughs> very entrepreneurial. Let's say that. Oh, okay. Like, like they've responded to it while keeping prices, you know, mm-hmm. relatively reasonable, uh, but, right. but stepped up to the challenge of like competing with big market dispensaries more people are offering delivery or offering referrals or packages <laughs> people are off you got some people they've really turned okay. into uh like kind of local influencers with it they've turned can- into cannabis education and how can i how can i make what i'm doing look more professional so you have more bakers more people doing infusions more people throwing parties and sipping paints become have become smoking paints if you were just like oh i'm you know i have weed for sale come to me people don't people is like no i'm being wined and dined now deals <laughs> and, and free joints and connections and free sample like it's people have had to step their game up for sure oh the, this is really interesting all right i have just a personal question. What is the deal with edibles, Jacoby? They taste mm-hmm. awful. Have you guys figured out how to make that? Oh, we have. Not well, bad. We, we have figured it out. I, I threw a event uh, a couple of years ago, me and my homie, uh, uh-huh. a homie of mine, we were doing these sort of upscale infusions to, to again, kind of bring yeah. just, just a, a cooler look to it. And we were doing like grilled lamb chops. We were doing oh, jalapeno cornbread pancakes with a sweet potato hash topped with like a maple piece of pork belly. We were doing oh, dang. multicolored cauliflower with a, a cannabis olive oil. Uh, edibles were dominated so long by just like, you know, people aren't really experimenting with this. It's real easy to just throw some cannabis in some butter, put it in a cheesecloth, and then put it in. But people have gotten so much more experimental. And so, so the education to make edibles not taste like ass um, has really given us such a, like, beautiful range in Chicago. You, whatever okay. you want, okay. you can get. Does it taste all right? It tastes absolutely fantastic. <laughs> All right, so looking into the future, what do you think is going to happen in Chicago? Where do y'all go in a few years? That's a good question. My hope is that they open it up for more competition, that, you know, right now they, I believe they've taken out the caps on how many dispensaries can operate in certain places. Uh, But it's just really hard for black and brown folks to get into the market. there was uh, some sisters behind a proposed dispensary over in one of our neighborhoods on the west side, Wicker Park. And, you know, it's just taken them so long to get the approval and to move through the lawsuits, you know, to get the licenses that they need. And so I just want to see the process get more streamlined, get easier. And and, and let's hold folks accountable. You, you know, you said this was going to be the most equitable piece of legislation in the country. Let's let's see that, you know, become true. You know, there are still more arrests for black folks on cannabis charges in Chicago. And so they got to clear that out their system. So, yeah, I just wanted to get better and cheaper. All right. Jacoby, thank you so much. This was fun. No, I appreciate you for having me, Lisa. Next up, producer Farrell Gibbs has a little more Houston news. Farrell, what do you know? Thank you, Lisa. Well, I'm sure you've heard by now about the Oscars slap that was delivered by Will Smith to host Chris Rock on Sunday night's Academy Awards ceremony. (laughs) Oh, wow!
But what it may have overshadowed for some here in Houston and in the area was that several Texans were important players in the event. Beyonce opened the show with a performance of Be Alive from the film that Will Smith went on to win Best Actor for. Also, Megan Thee Stallion was there performing the song We Don't Talk About Bruno, which marked the first time that a female rapper has taken the stage in the history of the award. Aside from that, the pianist in the wings that played folks off the stage, that was Houston jazz pianist Robert Glasper. And actor Jesse Plemons also represented Texas on Sunday night. Plemons of Friday Night Lights fame was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his appearance in the movie The Power of the Dog. But when the smoke finally cleared on what was clearly one of the most controversial Oscar nights of all time, Plemons did come up short. He lost to Troy Kotzer of the movie Coda. That is all for our show today. If you like it, please, 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 please give us stars. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, it makes a big difference. We're a tender young podcast and we really need that help. We will be back tomorrow with another show then. Talk to you later. Crap, I forgot to silence my phone. Sorry.